I want to look at a character this morning in the Bible um, who really, he really had some of his own inner conflicts going on. Really, he was his own worst enemy. Uh, he would often defeat himself before he even had a chance. And, and then I want to look at, so I want to spend some time looking at, looking at that, and then I want to show you how things really turned around for him. His name's Abram. His story actually starts with his father. Abram takes up this long journey, but I want you to see, if you'll open with me to Genesis chapter 12, we're going to start off right there in the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to look at uh, the call of Abram. Right before that, if you look at Genesis chapter 11, and then we look at this guy, his name's Terah, and it's in verse 31. It says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, uh, that means that Lot is Abram's nephew, you'll see that later, is important, um, and Lot, the son of Haran, his brother, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, I would say that, Sarah, Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together, and it says, they came from the Ur of Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Realize, Tehran, for some reason, he has this vision to go from all the way from the Ur of Chaldeans. And this is a long trip. We're talking 2,000 miles of a trip to, to walk across, across uh, you know, along with the Euphrates River, all the way down to Jerusalem, kind of is where the land of Canaan is, is okay? Now, so he's taking this trip, and he's taking his whole family with him. Realize that's where Abram's story starts. That was supposed to be the plan, but look at what it says. But when they came to Haran, which is about halfway, halfway point, they settled there. See, from Haran is kind of where the Euphrates goes north, and they're supposed to go south. It's kind of safe and secure to stay there next to the Euphrates River. You've got to stay next to water around these times. They're kind of basically just walking and camping along the way. So they stop halfway, and it says this phrase, and they settled there. I want you to think about this for a second. Tehran has this vision, and you're going to find out it's a godly vision. He's supposed to take his family and go to the land of Canaan. He stops halfway and settles. And I think all, already, before we even get into the story of Abram, before we even go into maybe some of the blessings that God has for us, just realize sometimes we settle just way too early. We don't even realize there's so much more. And it's kind of a theme almost in Genesis that you're going to see that settling is kind of the, uh, the curse that brings a curse on you when you just settle for whatever is comfortable, right? See, sometimes God's calling us way out of our comfort zone. And all we want to do is kind of settle where we're at. We want to stick with tradition. We, just, we want to stick with what we've known. And sometimes God's calling us to a, the promised land. And we stop halfway and just settle. I love the theme of that, but when we can go on, you'll see that uh, some of that flows into some of the other stories in the Bible. But basically, they stayed there, and he died there. Tehran died in Haran, halfway to where God had led him. Then verse, or chapter 12 starts out, right in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Tehran's son, you're going to take up the mantle now. He says to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Now, maybe Abram got this call while his father was alive. Either way, there's obviously, they're stopped halfway, they settled, they're all happy and everything, and then God comes to Abram and says, ah, don't stay here. I need you to go. I need you to go. Keep moving. Let's go. I'm going to show you a new place. Leave everything behind. Then listen to these promises that he gives. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, 
and you will be a blessing. Again, this is kind of that phrase, you're blessed to be a blessing, is given to Abram. and said, I'm going to bless you, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. I want you to see something real quick. So not only it, already are we talking about not settling for where we're at, but I want you to see that now you just get a picture of God's vision of what matters to God. God is not really that interested in our comfort and making sure that we just kind of get through life easy. He has a vision for the whole world to be blessed. Sometimes I think even in the church that we're kind of consumed with and kind of interested in all the wrong things, whereas God is really interested in bringing salvation to the whole world, and we're just kind of interested in being who we are, just kind of like living a life and getting through it and hopefully having retirement at some point. You know, hopefully that just magically appears because (laughs) hardly anyone saves, right? So we're just hoping everything works out in the end. And God has this huge mission for us to bless the entire world. So when you read this, it's sometimes the blessings and the prayers and the things that God says to people in the Bible are for them. And sometimes you can take those blessings and you can say, this applies to me too. This is a call to Abraham, and this is something God wants to do in his life, but I wonder if he's also tapping on your heart and saying, hey, I, I want you to think bigger than just your life. I want to bless the whole world. I want to bring salvation and love to the entire planet, and I want you to help with that. I want you to be on mission for that. So it says in verse 4 that Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot, his nephew, came with him. It says Abram was 75 years old when he left. That's, all, that's a pretty late in life to start a whole new life, right? <laughs> he is like coming to Abram in the end of his life. It's, he is kind of thinking about retirement, and God comes in and changes that and says, your life's not done. If you're not dead, you're not done. I've got stuff for you still. 75 years old, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and all the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. It says that they arrived there. So they continued the journey. They finished up the journey. They landed in Canaan. And it says that Abram traveled through the land. He kept going south, kind of traveled through this land, um, as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. I can show you where Shechem's at. It's kind of around Jerusalem, if you can picture that, a little bit north of Jerusalem. Uh, we, we, we know where some of these places are still today. Um, and at the time, the Canaanites were in the land. We find out in Numbers that, they, that when, when Israelites come back to the land of Canaan, they, their Canaanites are still there. And it said that while they were in the land, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And what you don't realize, and that's a beautiful blessing to say, from your children, I'm going to bless the whole world. I'm going to make you into a great nation. See, up to this point, there wasn't a whole lot of structure in nations. And, and you can see from the story what God's been doing. And now the whole world is kind of covered with all these different people groups. So God comes to Abraham and says, from your kids, from your line, I'm going to create a whole entire nation, which is a great blessing But see, at this point, Abram has no kids. (laughs) Don't forget, Abram has nothing to go on. He's just getting a promise from God that God's going to do this thing, but really the evidence isn't there that this is possible. Okay, so again, you're going to see that we're going to bring out the faith of Abraham a little bit and kind of talk about what he was as a person, but I want you to understand that the resources were not there. Where God leads you, he provides. If it's God's will, it's God's bill. (laughs) 
he's, he's going to have to provide for um, where he's taking you. Uh, verse 10, it says, now there was a famine in the land. So he's traveled, he's, he's come where God told him to go, and then God gives him a, a great blessing and a, and a promise. Abram has nothing to go on other than God's word. He doesn't have anything, he has no kids. So if you're going to use my kids to bless the whole world, we got to, you know, get started, right? I mean, we, I want kids. We've been trying. And, you know, so what, what are you going to do? How are you going to provide this? And on top of that, then famine hits. No food, no water. They're out of everything, right? So he keeps going south and kind of goes south, southwest and um, heads down to Egypt. As he was about to enter Egypt, he whispers to his wife. He kind of tells his wife a plan. You're beautiful. And when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, that's his wife. Let's kill him <laughs> and take her. Right? So he kind of has this uh, fear. Like He's going into new territory, a new land, and he's kind of wondering, what's going to happen? When people see my wife, they're going to kill me, take my wife. It's going to ruin everything. And maybe he's thinking about God's blessing and God's provision, and he's thinking, i got to take things in my own hand to make sure that that happens. Right? Because... You know, I don't, if I die, then how is God's promise going to happen? You know, so he tells her the plan. You need to, so when we get there, tell everybody that you're my sister. So when we get there, that's the plan. You're just my sister. We're single, we're traveling together, but you're just my sister, okay? And that's, that can be a straight-out lie, except for that Sarai is Abram's half-sister. So this is kind of a truth, but it's a half-truth. Can you see that how conflicted Abram was? Can you see how he was just like, I got to make up a plan. I got to have this plan in place. And, it's, and I'm okay with even lying. Let's just tell a little bit of a tr- half-truth that you're just my sister. That way I can save my own neck. Right? Secondly, imagine what's going to happen if they go in there and they're traveling in this group and they see this woman. It's just a, his sister. So what are they going to do with her? They're going to take her. He wasn't thinking about, oh, I don't want you to be harmed. <laughs> he was more thinking, like, I don't want to be killed. You go ahead and be taken. Just tell them that you're my sister, and boom, you're gone. And this is what happens. So they came into Egypt. They tell the lie. She's just my sister. The Egyptians see that she's very beautiful. And then Pharaoh's officials saw her, praised her to Pharaoh, tell, tell, told him all about her, and she was taken into his palace. And that... that Really, right here, you have this man who's been given this huge blessing from God, and yet he's able to compromise everything that really matters to him. Remember, God promised through your offspring, which you don't have yet, which he's going to give you through Sarai, Sarai, and then he gives Sarai away. You know, this is kind of like a, if you start taking things in your own hand kind of plan, either you're going to die or Sarai is going to be taken. Either way, it ruins what God had talked about. But they go with this plan. Now, God is providing for them, even in the midst of this. God does something that Abram couldn't. He takes, you know, because Abram's already taken it into his own hands. And God's like, no, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know the right thing. I could have protected you this whole time. You know, but you don't have to lie to get God's blessing. You don't have to manipulate anything. And, is, you know, you just gave away your wife. So it says that the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife. So imagine she comes into the palace. All she, she's going to end up being some sort of concubine. She's going to be used and abused or whatever, whatever they want. 
Abram has, not, has no say. He's like, phew, that worked. <laughs> you know, I'm safe. <laughs> I don't know where she's at. Who cares, almost? And then God intervenes. God's like, whoa, don't touch her. Because the blessing's with her, too. This isn't just about Abram. She's part of this, too. And so it says that the Lord inflicted serious diseases on them. Pharaoh freaks out. All of a sudden, they have all these diseases. Like, what happened? And he brings in Abram. You came in here, then all of a sudden we all got sick. So, you know, I'm putting, the, putting things together. You are the problem. Brings in Abram, you know, what have you done to me? And obviously he finds out what's really true is that this is your wife? Are you kidding me right now? So you lied. You told me she was your sister. I mean, if you just would have told me she was your wife, I wouldn't have taken her into my palace. I mean, she's yours. You know, like that's your family. I don't want to break up your family. Boy, man. So he's telling him, how come you didn't say? She's, why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Get the heck out of here. You know, you've just now dishonored me. You've caused disease to come into my house. You totally misjudged the situation. I want you to leave. And you'd think after that situation that he would have learned. He would have known, like, okay, if I ever encounter the situation again, maybe I could do something different. Now, you're laughing because if you've read, a, read along with the story, it happens again in chapter 20. He's into a different, goes into a different land. As they go in, he's like, hey, Sarah, remember we talked about this, and you're my sister. <laughs> Let's do that same thing again. And it worked so well before. The same thing happened again. Check this out. His son Isaac does the same thing with his wife. And, and, you know, I can see that and Abram becomes Abraham, and this is a great man. He, he is the legendary man, but he was conflicted at the time. If you really look into the story, he was not a perfect guy. He made a lot of mistakes. This is just one of the things. And you want to go back and you whisper to Abram, like, dude, you're hurting yourself, right? This isn't something God's doing. I don't even know if Satan's really involved. You are your own worst enemy, just if you got out of your head for a second <laughs> and you stopped worrying and, and trying to figure this all out and you just kind of just relax, just trust God, it, things really could work out better. <laughs> it kind of gets worse in some ways. There's other things that happen too. If you look at chapter 13, he's still this conflicted person with his little nephew, Lot. Lot, tur- it turns out, isn't such a great godly man. He makes some really bad immature decisions. And Abram keeps taking the responsibility for him over and over. So when they get down, if you look in verse 10, um, this is where in, in chapter 13, they're, they're traveling together, but they're growing. They're getting wealthy, and they have, they have all this livestock, and all, all this, the families are growing. So they get to this point where Abram comes a lot and says, hey, listen, you know, I don't know if this one land is going to be able to support both of us. We're going to have to separate. We're going to have to part ways. I want it to be cool between us. You know, I want us to still keep in touch. You know, I got your back, whatever. But I want you to just look around. You choose where you're going to go, and I'll go the opposite way. And we'll kind of settle in different places. It says, Lot looked up. In verse 10, he saw the whole plain of Jordan was well watered. Uh, obviously, Lot is picking out the best place, right? He's like, oh, I want to go there. That looks like a really cool, nice place. Look at this. Great cities there and stuff. And uh, said it was well watered, like the garden of the Lord. Looking back to the garden. Like the land of Egypt, like all these flourishing places. And, and this was, it even has a little parenthesis, this is before 
the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So this is, he's actually going to go settle into this area that's known as Sodom and Gomorrah. These are probably two big cities, kind of maybe even metropolises that have combined, and they're just, it's, it's amazing, this huge flourishing, flourishing place. And so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. It says, Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived in the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. So Abraham is camped on the west side of the, of the, of the river, of the river Jordan, and Lot has chosen the east side. If you can kind of picture it that way. Yeah, Lot's a little bit more south. Uh, it's probably that Abraham has chosen right around where is modern-day Jerusalem. There's a lot of things that ha- is, are going to happen <laughs> where Abraham's camped right now. Uh, but he, you know, he's just c- kind of choosing this place because that's where God's led him to stay. Lot goes down to Sodom. And you don't have to have read the Bible to kind of hear the, you've probably heard some rumors about the stories about what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. See, what happens is that place ends up being just the most evil place on the earth. Lot doesn't just stay out in the land. He kind of goes to the big city. He's like, I, I want to I live it up. You know, I want to be in this place. But it ends up being even more evil and immoral than him. And he's kind of even uncomfortable in the immorality of the society. Some, God sends some angels, okay, so they're actually, somehow they look like people or whatever, but it's going to be God going to be inflicting judgment on them. He sends them to Abraham and tells Abraham what he's going to be doing. He's like, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, all of it. Abraham thinks, my nephew's there, Lot. What if there's some righteous people in the city? What if there's 50 righteous people? Would you spare the whole city for 50 people? And they're like, yeah, we would. Abraham thinks a little bit more. He's like, I know I'm talking to God here, and I probably shouldn't barter or anything, but how about 40? Would you save the city for 40? Because he starts, put, the wheels are turning, turning. He's like, you know what? This is the most immoral city I've ever seen, and maybe there aren't that many more immoral people there. How about 40? How about 30? How about 20? How about 10? Would you spare the city if there's at least 10 good people in it? Sure. We will. I wouldn't, I wouldn't come and bring judgment on this city if I could just find a handful of good people but there are none. It turns out that those angels go and visit the city itself. And, you know, these are three guys going into this city. Apparently the men of the city want to come and rape these guys. Lot's trying to protect them. It kind of does not turn out that way very well. And then all of a sudden they strike the men of the city with blindness. And you see that, I don't know, you know, there's, they've made some depictions of these like super ninjas that come through and there's bombs going off and stuff like that. I don't know exactly how it happened, but it says that something rained down from the sky. It says that sulfur, and it just burnt, the whole city burned to the ground. All of Sodom and Gomorrah are completely destroyed, and Lot is barely saved. He just gets out, barely. Even today, there is an area where we would think of would have been Sodom and Gomorrah, where there are leftover city structures that are completely just become ash. It's an entire city of ash. Some of the structures are actually walls. You can see that there were walls there. So you've seen how conflicted Abram is. His, he, in, in chapter 17, I think it is, is where God comes to him and realizes he, it's not like he's talking to Abram every day. There's long periods of silence. There's periods where he's promised something and doesn't come through. And so Abram's like, what's going on? But still, God will continue to encourage him, like, I'm going to keep my word. I'm going to keep my blessing over you. In chapter 17, he comes back to him and says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I'm going to change your name. This is where he changes his name from Abram 
which kind of means father in Hebrew. He changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many, multitudes. It kind of adds that little piece to it. Like, I'm, I'm going to promise you, I'm, I'm going to show you, because I'm even going to change your name. I'm going to call you something different from now on, and your name is going to be different. It's going to be Abraham. God's going to change everything. But I want to go back to this one moment in chapter 15 and kind of, kind of bring us together in here, because there's, there's this one word that really flips everything around for Abram. Because if that was the only story you got of Abram's life, and we just kind of looked at it from the perspective we've been talking about it, it kind of seems like the guy's a failure. Like, wait, what, God chose this guy. He makes a lot of mistakes. He's very conflicted. You know, he tries to do things on his own. But in, ver- in chapter 15 of Genesis, you see this. That the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision one time and told him, Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. I realize this is before he's changed his name. This is before he has a, a son yet. <laughs> this is, you know, far before that. Abram said back to God, Oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. He has this guy who's kind of taking care of his estate. He's like, if I die right now, he's the one in charge. He's taking over everything. Like, God, you haven't come through for me. This is that one moment of, of faith for Abram, right? It's this moment of crisis. He's seen God provide in different ways, and he has this huge blessing over his life, but there's this moment where God comes and goes, remember that promise? Let's go for it. I, I just love you, Abraham. I'm going to do so many great things. And Abraham's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, I'm done with that. I've heard you say that so many times, but you don't see what I see. Let me explain how this is going to be, God, because I don't have kids. I don't have a plan. Like, there's no plan. You're failing. <laughs> you know, like, you've, you've promised to do good things, and you're failing me. Abram said, you have given me no children. So a servant of my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, answered him, and said, Listen, he's not going to be your heir. It's not going to go down like that. I'm not going to fail you. Just leave you with this. A, a, A son will come from your own body and will be your heir. He took him outside and showed him the sky and says, Just count. Try to count all the stars. If you can count them. He said, This is how your offspring will be. I'm going to give you a promise. See this picture? That's the picture I want you to think about when you think about this promise. I'm just going to, I'm going to fill up the whole world. You know? And then verse 6. This is kind of the, the crux of all this. It says, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Righteousness. I think that's the word I want you to kind of camp on for a second. And I want you to hold into your heart. How does God all of a sudden say, Abram, you're a righteous person? All of a sudden, he's credited, it's put on him somehow, that he's now a righteous person. Realize, he didn't do anything to get righteous, right? He didn't, it wasn't like he earned it. He didn't deserve it. In fact, he was questioning God at this point. It doesn't even seem like he really earned it through belief, even. It's not like he was super faithful kind of guy yet. This was way before then. And this phrase sticks out, that God all of a sudden stuck on him, counted him with righteousness. When we think of righteousness, what it's not, it doesn't mean that you're spiritually proud. <laughs> so oftentimes, we get spiritually proud. And we think, you know, I'm, I'm a righteous person. <laughs> I'm one of the righteous people. And, and it, the Bible is very clear that there are none who are righteous, not one. 
No one is righteous. Psalm chapter 14, Romans 3 says, you can't claim righteousness. You can't stand up and say, I'm a righteous person. That, you can't do that. No one can do that. So how can we look back on this story and say, oh, wait, but Abram was righteous. It says that he was counted, he was credited with righteousness. And again, maybe the word uh, credited really helps us here because it's not that Abraham like, earned this or got this put into his account because he did some work to get there. It was just, just transferred to him. You get some righteousness. I'm just going to give you enough righteousness so that you can actually understand the promise here. In other words, I think God looks at this situation and knows Abram cannot come up with the faith in his own self to, to really believe. Abraham can't manufacture something in him where he's just totally on fire for God and totally going to follow God's will. i got to give him something. And God gives him righteousness. He comes to him and says, I'm going to give you I'm going to credit to you and transfer to you a righteousness, not of your own. It's going to be from God. It's almost as if from this point you can see that God's vision is to to bless the entire world. But he also is setting up sort of this relationship of grace. Already we see from from page (laughs) 8, from page 10 of the Bible, you're, you're seeing that God does not intend for us to, to in, actually like improve our lives or come become better people. He wants us to be righteous. <laughs> and he wants us to own and have his righteousness. If there's one thing that God's not interested in, it's human effort. If there's one thing that God's not interested in, it's human effort. God's not interested in how much we can do, how much we can muster up, how much we can earn anything. He's not really interested in human effort. And so we see, actually, where righteousness, where it, it makes its way into our lives today. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I just want to read this to you. It says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see where I'm going with that? He's talking about Jesus. That Jesus became sin so that we could become righteous. That's the gospel in, some, in two words. Became, become. Jesus became so that we could become. The, and notice, we, where are we at in this, in this equation? We just get righteousness. It just gets given to us. It gets credited to, to us. Like Abraham. And, and so it's kind of like even from the beginning of the story, you can see God's grace unfolding. 